0: But where they all come to the Lord and flourish, like we sang about, make, "Make we come alive, you make me come alive." That is our heart's desire. And so, what would our church look like if every one of us began to win our sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, kids, and then our friends? What if we started winning them into a relationship with God? What would it look like? So that's what we're asking for. We're not asking you to go to the to the street corner and preach on a soapbox the people that are going to be mad at you without hearing a word you say. Some people are good at that, and they need to do it. Go for it. I don't really enjoy that. It's not my thing, right? But you can talk to your brother. You can talk to your sister your dad. Sometimes that's even scarier to some people. Uh, we just don't talk about religion in our home. Good, don't talk about religion. Don't talk about Don't talk about what we believe and what we don't believe. Just talk about who God is. Just entice them with his personality. Like, I don't care if you believe in this, and I believe in that, and you believe in once saved, always saved, and I kind of believe in once saved, always saved, and you believe in this, and who cares? God is good. He's a good father. He loves all of his children the same. Can you guys, can we all do that? So I just want to pray over our families. This is a season for harvest. You guys know that? This is a season for the harvest. The Bible says that in the last days that the, the reapers, the ones that are bringing in, would overtake those that are planting seed. So many people will come into the kingdom so fast that we won't be able to keep up with planting the seed. There'll be such a return on the harvest. We're in that season right now. So Father, I release everyone in here to be a harvester, to be a soul winner, to be someone who is a reconciler, who brings people and connects them back to the Father. God, I just begin, I ask that you begin to cause a passion inside of our hearts and begin to stir us for, uh, with love and compassion for those that don't have a connection to you. God, I ask that we would begin to realize that our identity is a reconciler. We can make wrong things right. It's in our spiritual DNA to make wrong things right. So Father, I ask that you would awaken us to that purpose and then we are released right now to be reconcilers, Lord. We claim our entire families. We acclaim our entire household to you, Father, even the dogs and the cats, Lord, especially the cats, in Jesus' name, (laughs) the cats are evil, I'm sorry, (laughs) my prejudice is coming out about
1: cats,
0: (sighs) I just want to do something completely different. It's dangerous to have me teach a class before we come into here, because we get into these discussions, and I, I'm like, I don't want that discussion and what we were talking about to stop. Like, we need to carry that into here. I even s- said it a, a couple weeks ago. Let's just tell everyone, let's come into the prayer room, and let's just all pack in here and keep this conversation going, because what was being said and what was the, the conversation going back and forth was was that kind of a conversation. And so I want to I want to carry on with that for a moment and then we'll pray for people. We'll do all that kind of stuff. Um, But I I want to. I want to entice you into becoming a dreamer. In Exodus, when it's speaking about the Israelites, they had been in bondage for for all those years to Egypt. They had been in bondage. They, as a matter of fact, most no one really there, all the kids that were born there, they didn't even know what freedom was. They were born into bondage. And the Bible has a scripture verse, and it says that when they came out of Egypt, they left in arms, and they left with the wealth of Egypt. Has anyone ever heard people talk about that or that taught? Well, recently there's this, uh, again, if you were in class, I'm sorry, this is part two of the same thing, but there was a rabbi, um, and he, he's a scholar. He's, he's uh, a genius when it comes to the Hebrew language and Hebrew culture. And the scripture there doesn't say that they came out in, in, uh, with the wealth of Egypt. They didn't come out with a mighty hand, all the things that we put in there. The scripture uh, actually says, and the Israelites left Egypt one-fifths. They left Egypt one-fifth. And what he says this literally means is that not everyone left Egypt. That only 20% of all of Israel was willing to live in an area of freedom and abundance. The other 80% were, were, were just okay with having their needs met. They were fine. They didn't want to work for stuff. They didn't want to fight for land and opportunity. They were fine... They knew, what they, they knew what to expect. There was no risk. There was no adventure. There was no danger involved. We know every day this is the way our day is going to go. If we go to the promised land, there are giants there. There are all kinds of, of creatures that we've never encountered before and, and all of these things that we're scared of. And so we don't know if we want to go into that place. We're okay here. I mean, you even heard when they were marching around, some of them said, let's just go back to Egypt. They even said it with their mouths. Let's, they complained and, and griped and said, let's just go back to Egypt. Well, at least we had food to eat and we didn't have to eat the same thing every day and, and all that kind of stuff was going on because there's this evil thing that enters into man's heart where we get to a point, it's, it's called poverty of thought, to where we're just happy with our needs being met. And if we can just get our needs met, if our bills can just get paid, we're fine. We want to live with no pressure. We think that pressure or tension in our life is always a bad thing. How many of you know that that tension and pressure is not always a bad thing? I mean, there's no diamond without pressure. (laughs) Like the great picture that he had earlier. There's no diamond without pressure. And so what we tend to do as humans is we find the path of least pain and least uh, uh, responsibility, and we take that path. Whatever costs me the least, whatever takes the least amount of my time, that's what I want to do because I'm only happy. I just want my needs met. I don't want any extra. I'm cool with this. And God's saying, no, I have more for you. Even when the pilgrims decided to come to America to flee from religious tyranny. They didn't come here uh, for any other reason but to be free to serve the God that they wanted to serve. And they did not want a government dictating every day of their life. So they came here. Even in that time, only 20% of those people wanted to stay here in America. You can follow the history of it. There's this thing built in man where it's, they even teach it in business school. It's called the Pareto Principle. Anyone ever heard that before? I may say it wrong, or, but it's the 80-20 rule. Where in sales, 80% of your sales will come from 20% of your clients. In church, 80% of your income will come from 20% of the people. It's just a principle that functions across every, it doesn't matter race, culture, it's just, it just happens. And there's this thing inside of us where we're, we're fine with, if our needs are met. But what I'm wanting to talk to you about today is stirring you up into dreaming for more, to pursuing more, all right? Um, if you want to open your Bible to Luke Luke chapter 24, actually Luke chapter 10, I'm sorry. Luke chapter
1: 10.
0: We're going to read this. I'm going to ask a couple of questions, and then we're going to do something different, all right? Luke chapter 10, verse 21. It says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. And said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Why is he thanking him? Here it is. That you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but you've revealed them to babes and infants. He's talking about the mysteries of the kingdom. And he's in the spirit, and he's thanking his Father. Thank you for revealing the mysteries of your kingdom to people who aren't arrogant, for, to people who aren't proud, but for people who are humble and like little children who are hungry to know you more. He said, even so, Father, for, it, for so it seemed good in your sight. He's like, good plan. I, lo- I, I love that you do what is good in your sight. He said, all things have been, all things have been delivered to me by my Father, And no one knows who the son is except the father and who the father is except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. So in other words, what he's saying is unless the spirit of God comes upon me, people wouldn't have known that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the son of God and you're my father. And unless the spirit of God comes upon somebody, they can't even receive the father or see the father. It's the spirit himself who draws us into an encounter with the Father, right? Everyone believe that? Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, which is it's funny to me. He's praying to God, then he turns to talk privately to his disciples. Sorry, it's kind of, I guess you don't see the humor that I see in it. God hears and sees everything. But he had a private conversation. He said, blessed are the eyes which see the scene. Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you have seen. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see, and they have not seen it. And to hear what you hear, and they have not heard it. I want to talk about this for a second, and then I want to launch us into a dream time, right? Moses, David, Esther, Elijah go on, Samuel, all of these people, John the Baptist, they looked ahead in the future and in their spiritual eyesight, they saw a kingdom coming to earth. They saw the power of God, not just resting on one individual and then leaving. They saw the presence and the power of God coming up on people and staying on them. And in their prayer closet, in their dream life with God, they dreamed of this future and God showed it to them. And they longed for that day. They wanted to live in the encounter that you and I live in right now. They, we talked about it last week. They longed not to see the, the amount of miracles that we're seeing on the earth. They didn't, they didn't long to see the crowds of people cram into churches or the lights and all the stuff we have, they longed for the day when the presence of God would come and stay in His people. And they looked ahead in time, and they saw it in their prayer life. They saw it in their relationship with God. And the the Bible leads us to believe that every one of them burned for that day. And not one of them received the full promise of what they saw. See, you and I get very angry when God gives us a promise and we don't see it come to pass. Yet the Bible says of all these heroes of the Bible, Hebrews 11, it says, all of them died without seeing the promise. And then it goes on and it says, only through you will the promise be made fulfilled. So they're cheering you on. It opened up, with since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and every sin that entangles us and let us run this race with perseverance why did it open up with that chapter because elijah and moses and david and all these great men and women of god who look to the day that we're living in now they realize that we're living in the fulfillment of the promise that god gave them hundreds and thousands of years ago and they're cheering us on and they're saying run run faster Keep going. And in their heart, the burning that's inside of them is because they want to see the fulfillment of the promise that the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And they know that unless we finish and take the baton and run and finish the race and cross the finish line, explode across the finish line, then their promise isn't fulfilled completely. So they need us to fulfill what God told them I was a long-distance runner as, uh, among other, you know, sports in school, and I, I love seeing the Olympics when the marathon or the long distance. And they're out running in the streets, and they're running through the hills, and they barely, there's four or five people, and they pass, them when there's a few people lined on the streets. But then they come to the last, last lap. Let me ever watch it. I know it's kind of boring. It's kind of like NASCAR. <laughs> it's just running around. They come into the arena, and they're on their last lap, and that place of eighty thousand or hundred thousand people begin to cheer. They stand up. They're going crazy. They're cheering them on because they've been running this whole time. But now there's a whole crowd of witnesses who are saying, "Keep going. You're almost to the finish line." And you just see that eruption. Anyone remember that? The last you just feel it like it's like the wave going through the crowd of excitement that they're about to finish the race. Someone's about to be crowned a winner, and they're just going crazy. And I remember. Even in the little junior high and high school stuff that we do with a few people that were in the crowds, especially you know junior high and high school, that when I would we get to that last part of the last lap and they would cheer you on, you would get energy from their cheering, and you your legs are mush. They, you know you you, you know you've seen them when they're done there. Do the wobble thing. We almost dove <laughs> off the stage there. Bring them back stage diving. That's an old man stage diving it's on accident. <laughs> But your legs are jello, and you're trying to push, you know, and you can't push anymore. But when they start cheering you on, when they start screaming your name and chanting, all of a sudden you find energy and reserves that you didn't know you had. And when you finish the line, there's nothing like it. And right now, you and I are in this race. We're not running a race aimlessly. If you're running a Christian race, if you're running this race with God just to run it, and you're not running to win it, then get in it to win. You're not just here to make it to the end. You need to be, your your goal should be, I want to cross the finish line. I want to hit the tape. I don't want someone else hitting the tape. I want to hit the tape. (laughs) Only one person gets to hit the tape. I want to be the one that hits the tape. And we're running right now, and we're not running with just our hopes and dreams. We're running with the hopes and dreams of generations of people. And they know that their reward is tied to our reward. And the only reason that we're where we're at is because of what they did and their sacrifice that they made. The only reason I am who I am today is because my dad and my grandfather and his, grandf- and his dad and his grandfather, that every one of them decided, you know what, we're going to break this, this ungodly living in this family lineage and we're going to pursue God. That little choice hundred, a hundred and whatever years ago that they made has changed my life today and my kids' life. I'm standing on the the shoulders of my fathers and their sacrifice. And the days that they said no to temptation, make my life matter today. The times I say no to temptation now, the times I say yes to what God's telling me to do, it's building a, a credit in the account of my own children and my grandchildren. I'm earning something in the spirit realm. I am, I am attaining things in the spirit realm that I couldn't get on my own, that I don't even know were there. But someday Josiah's going to stand in front of a crowd of people and preach the gospel, and he's going to say, I'm standing on my dad's shoulders. And I'm standing on my papa, papa's shoulders. And their sacrifice means something today. And I, I always say this, and I feel this way. I feel I want to live a life that makes my dad and my grandpa's sacrifice matter. I don't want to spit on what they decided. I don't want to spit on their sacrifice. And I, I have, you and I, both of us, all of us, we have relationship right now with God that we didn't do anything to earn. We stepped into an inheritance that somebody gave their blood, sweat, and tears for. And we we got it for free. I don't want to be one who consumes my inheritance and leaves nothing for the next generation. I don't want to be one who thinks the inheritance is just for me. I want to see inheritance as something I pass on. And I pass on. I love the old Native American concept that we don't own the land. We're borrowing it from our children. It's true. We, we are borrowing the days that we live in now. We're borrowing it from our children and our great-grandchildren on and on and on. So don't run aimlessly. Run in a way to win the prize. Because these men, Elijah and all these great men, Abraham, they looked ahead. And they had glimpses of what we live in. And they longed for the day when it wasn't just a glimpse. And so they lived lives of sacrifice, of obedience, of pressure, so that you and I could be where we're at today. We're where we are today because our fathers and our, our mothers before us dreamed of this day. God himself dreamed of this day, and then he breathed his dream into man. and said, run with it. So when I think about that, and I think they're cheering me on right now, and and the decisions that i make they don't just affect me. <laughs> we are not an island to ourselves. The decisions that we make, the life and i'm not talking about just not doing wrong things. I'm talking about the kingdom perspective that says do the good, you know you know you're supposed to do. Do the good. Those things that we do, they matter not just for now. I love the line from Gladiator I always wait, I, wait, I always wait for opportunities to quote Gladiator in my sermons. <laughs> but he says, what we do here in life echoes in eternity. I love that line. What we do here echoes in eternity. It matters. It matters to our kids. We think we can control our children. <laughs> How many of you ever try to control your kids? Even at two years old, they're going to do what they want to do. <laughs> we control, we want to control them and control and make a specific outcome happen, and it doesn't always happen the way that we see it or want it. But you and I can live such a life of sacrifice, of consecration to God, of humility before God, where we dictate our kids' future. Not to control them, but to empower them. Train up a child in the way that they go, and when they grow old, they won't depart. Why? Because as you train up that child in the the way life is supposed to be, you are guaranteeing a direction for them. You and I right now have an opportunity to guarantee the outcome of future generations by sacrifice, blood, sweat, tears. We don't like to talk about it a lot because we love to live in the freedom of, of the cross and freedom of grace. That's the only way we can do it. It's through the freedom of the cross and the freedom of grace. Everybody still with me? So here's the question I wanted to ask. And if you have a piece of paper something you can write on or a phone, you can take notes in or whatever, this is the question I want to ask you. In your intimate, personal relationship with God, what dream has he stirred up inside of you that you don't see in this day, but that you see is for another day? Does that make any sense? I'm going to try to word it better. For example, Bethel, Bethel Church in Redding, California. From the first time that I met them, this is what I heard from them. Their goal and their heart for their church and their city is to have a cancer-free zone. The city has about 125,000 people in it. And from the first time I met them and heard their mes- message 10 or 12 years ago, to, till now, their message has been, we want a cancer-free zone. Do they live in a cancer-free zone yet? No. Do they see people healed of cancer? Yes. So they see what's set apart for another day, and they're pulling it into their now. Does that make sense? What dream are you having with God right now that seems like it's far off into the future? It seems like it's impossible. seems like you can't bring it into now. What is that? I ask that God right now will begin to stir up inside of you a passion for that future perspective and that you will begin to grab it and, and force it into your reality today. See, the forefathers of our faith looked ahead in time and they saw a day that wasn't reserved for them. It was reserved for another time. It was reserved for a specific set time. Yet they, in their, even in their own a uh, limited understanding of grace and what it was going to look like pulled that day into their day. David went into the temple of God and ate showbread that was set apart for, for God. It was set apart as a sacrifice to God, but because he was hungry and because he knew God in a very intimate way, he partook of something his day that was reserved for another day because of his intimate connection to God. You see it all through Scripture. People would step into the future, and that's what would happen. When the Spirit of God would come upon these old prophets and these old men and women of God, they were stepping into the future, and the Spirit of God would come upon them. The Bible even would say it. The Spirit of God would come upon them, and then he would leave, he would depart. They were stepping into a future day, but they pulled it into their day. You and I can dream with God right now and can pull through passion and through partnering with him. We can pull into our day something that seems like it's reserved for another day. Can we have cancer-free zones? Like, that sounds really big. It is. It is really big. And I, hope, I pray for them that they get it. I pray for them that they step into it. Because their, their mentality and their dream... <clears throat> is if there's no cancer in heaven, then there should be no cancer on earth. His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the way we were told to pray. So if it's not in heaven, then it shouldn't be here. And until it's not here, we're going to keep pulling on the future. Are you part of the 80% that are happy with where you're at? Or do you want to kind of change the equation a little bit Change that 20% to a larger percentage. Go for it. Let's go for it. We're not bound by the laws of, of nature. We're not bound by the laws of government. Do you guys know that? Listen to me. We're not bound by man, man-made man or or even scientific uh, scientifically proven laws. We're bound by the law of the kingdom. Impossibilities bow to the name of Jesus. And I I can't live saying I believe in these things and not experience them. If I live in a place where I say I believe these things, but I don't experience them, it's because I'm not pulling on the future enough. Because I'm not going into the secret place and hungering for this this day that's not mine. Not just for me, but for my kids and my grandkids and on and on. You know, the whole, last thing I'll say, the whole movement that we're in right now of learning the nature of God, that he's really good, you know the price that was paid for us to learn that truth right now? Think about it. I grew up in a time where we didn't think God was good all the time, where we didn't know that he was in a good mood, where we didn't think he was on our side, that he was against us. But something happened inside of the hearts of people. They started saying, wait a second, but I know him. And he doesn't seem mean. So everything that we've understood about him is limited. We've We've got to increase our understanding of who he is. And and the new revelation of the goodness of God came from people not being happy with the old revelation. So what revelation are you pulling on now? It's not just it's not that it's wrong, it's not that it's evil. It's just that it's inferior to a better reality. Can you pull it into now so our kids can partake of it? Can we pull it into our day? I say yes. Nothing's impossible with God. God doesn't offer a blank check of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven just to entice us into relationship with Him. Because it's actually available. John the Baptist, and then Jesus right after him preached, the kingdom of heaven is within reach. It's not far away. It's not distant. It's not written on chiseled stone. It's actually right here, right now. The Word has become flesh. I want you stand. Let's just let's pray into this <laughs> can I, does everyone have a dream is there something everyone dreaming right now do you have a dream someone not have a dream i want to we want to pray before before we go to the rest you're you're having a hard time seeing a dream for the future just raise your hand it's cool we've all had those moments we've all been there thank you anyone else All right, let's all pray for dreams to erupt, yeah? Father, (laughs) you always speak through dreams. You're good at it. So I release the dreams of heaven right now. We release the creativity of the Spirit. (laughs) Holy Spirit is the spirit of creativity. We release him now to give dreams and visions into people's hearts. We ask that you would replace hopelessness with hope, that we would have an anticipation of good, We drive out all fear right now, for fear has to do with punishment. And anyone who's having fear has not partaken perfect love. So, Father, right now, we release the perfect love of God. And as we receive your love now, God, we will begin to see things the way that you see things. Give us your eyes. (laughs) Give us your dreams and your passions. Awaken our dream life. I want that. God, awaken my dream life. Oh, yeah. Get me beyond my logical thinking. Get me beyond my adult way of thinking, God. To where we put everything in boxes so they're easily managed. God, you don't want your kingdom to be easily managed. You want it to be a raging fire. We release creativity now. <laughs> Dreams, visions, open visions, Father. Now let's all just pray. If you put your hand on your heart, we're going to pray for passion to pursue that dream, all right? You just go for it. I'm going to pray here too, but you you pray out loud where you're at. you don't have to yell, just pray till you hear yourself. Father, we... We ask for passion. I know that it is impossible for me to create passion in myself. I need you. I need your Holy Spirit to stir passion in me. I will feed that passion, and I need you to help stir it. I will feed it. by a risk taker and being a dreamer, but I need you to stir passion. Father, I ask you to stir passion in all of our hearts. A passion for a dream. Passion to hit the tape first, to finish the race. Pull into this day all the dreams that are in your heart, God. All the things that you have set aside for us, we want. Everything that you've spoken, all your promises are yes and amen. We're the amen. We say yes to your yes, God. We say yes to your heart. Yes to what's in your your heart, in your dream, God. The passions that you have. Open heaven, God. We ask for open heavens. We ask for cancer-free zones, God. Oh. We ask for healing from Alzheimer's and mental illness, God. We ask for healing from diabetes, other blood diseases, God. We want to pull on something that see another day. We want to pull it to our day, God. Oh. See. Now, Father, I ask that you would give us at least one key now in our pursuit. Give us one anchor to pull on, to hold on to in our pursuit of this. One of the greatest sins in church is not dreaming big enough. Not dreaming big enough. Dreams are only small when we see God as small. But when we see him as he really is, how can we dream small? How can we think that something's not possible? How can we think that something's beyond our reach or beyond our grasp when he's God? And when we really see him, how can anything be impossible? How can anything even seem difficult when he can speak the worlds into existence? How can anything seem difficult when he saved my own soul? That's the hardest thing of all when I think about it. How did he change my heart? But he did. Especially a religious heart. that Thought it was okay. How does God do that? He's powerful. He just is just breaks things. I love how David describes him fire goes before you and when you speak it's like the voice of many waters. He's powerful. I love what Chris Ballington says. He says that for some reason churches have been training Christians for the zoo instead of for the wilderness. We've tamed he says we've tamed the lion of the tribe of Judah. We've made him a zoo animal, and he's not. He's wild. He's powerful. I love it when I go to the zoo and I hear the lion roar. Oh, and that's a tame one. (laughs) Just think if we were out on a safari, I would wet myself, right? (laughs) Oh, We've tamed him, and he doesn't want to be tamed. That's why he announces his presence, 2 Corinthians 3, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. He announces his presence with freedom, with freedom and liberty. God, we want more freedom and more liberty, God. I want to have a conversation with my kids one day. And I want them to say, Dad, I remember when you dreamed of this day. Now we're living in it. And I'm going to ask him, well, son, what's your dream? What dream do you have that seems beyond reach? And then hopefully i live long enough to hear that conversation. My grandkid comes up and says, hey, granddad, because I want to be called granddad, because I want to be the best. <laughs> the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl of dads. <laughs> I want to hear him. Him crawl up and say, Granddad, I remember you dreamed of this, and I remember when Josiah daddy dreamed of this, now I'm living in it, my heart, so Lord, we just say yes to that <laughs> We want to be counted with the great cloud of witnesses,. <laughs> We want to be counted with those that have turned the world upside down. For your glory, God. Why don't we all just say that? Say for your glory, God. For your glory, oh. for your glory God. For your honor, God. For your majesty. for the king and his kingdom. I just want to release something over you, okay? I do have the blessing of being in a ministry family, fifth generation ministry family. I know what it's like to think generationally. I really do. My earliest memories of my dad in church were me on an altar about like this and my dad walking and praying and praying in tongues and crying out to God and me copying whatever he was saying. It was my dad. And I wanted to be like him. Those are my early memories. My earliest memories of my papa are driving in the car and it being too quiet for his liking. So he would shout, glory! (laughs) Really loud, just to wake everybody up. But it was always glory. Always glory. I remember asking him, where are we going? The answer was always, heaven, want to go? Always. Family reunions always turned into worship services and preaching. I know what it's like to have generational inheritance. In the spirit realm And so I just want to release that To everyone here Some of you, you're starting a legacy You're awesome I want to say this before I pray Every one of you in this room That you're the first generation believer in your family You are so awesome You're a trailblazer, you're an adventurer And you're going to receive such a great reward Because you turn the tides Good for you Good job Good job, good job Good job starting a legacy. So, Father, we just release spiritual inheritance in the room, generational inheritance. For those that are the first generation and they feel like they're going alone and sometimes they don't know where to go, I ask that you pour into them generational advice, (laughs) generational revelation, (laughs) supernatural understanding of where to go and what to do. For everyone else that we're in this, I ask that you continue to increase it. Increase it. That we'd go from glory to glory, from strength to strength, God. That the all capital yes on our hearts would resound through eternity, God, through generations. How many of you in here, you're a first-generation believer? Raise your hands. I heard the Lord say he's going to put upon you a blessing of of an Abraham, an Isaac, and a Jacob blessing. So, like, he's going to impart unto you, like, this Abraham. You're going to be like the Abraham generation, and he's going to impart something into you today that's unique and special. Oh. You say yes to Uh, It There's a message that I had prepared for some other time, but I just want to throw this thought in there. 400 years after David died, you would hear people say, Our Father David. Josiah, King Josiah, called him Our Father David. 400 years later. It goes on even into the New Testament. Our Father David. He's going to sit on the throne of David. Created a legacy that just lasted. Amen. So we release that. It's a legacy. Hmm. Honor those that go before us. It's just great to see everybody here. Again, talk to your family. Release this over them, yeah? Release healing, blessing. (coughs) Ask that God gives them all the benefits that you want in your life. (laughs) Amen? You need prayer for healing. You need prayer for salvation. You need prayer for a miracle in your life. I want you to come to the front. Someone will meet you here, pray for you. God does impossible things. Amen? So if you need prayer for that, you come on up. Everyone else, thanks so much for being here. We bless you as you go. Pray that his word would just produce fruit. Amen?
1: Jesus, you have set me free. Stay.